Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hey everybody, this is Marnie. Welcome back to another edition of Marnie's Friends. Excited to have you with us this afternoon when we speak about food. <laughs> and the favorite topic for everybody, but today we're going to look at it from a little different perspective. We're going to talk about transitioning to a plant-based diet, which is something that I'm still in the process of doing, although I'm probably about 80 to 90% there right now. But that's a huge change for me. Just a few years ago, if you would have told me that I would be eating this way, I would have just laughed out loud and said, not me, not ever. I don't even like fruits and vegetables. How could I possibly eat mainly those? But here I am, and here you are. And so during this hour, with our guest, Elena Wilkins of Vigalicious.com, we are going to discover why a plant-based diet is optimal for health and weight loss, the three keys to preparing your mind for success successful transition, how to make your plant-based diet easy in a world of fast-fried foods, why vegans who consume a whole foods diet do not like any nutrients or need supplements, how and where to shop to make a plant-based diet affordable, the basic food staples and how to prepare your pantry, the five kitchen gadgets you want to invest in early on, where to find support for a successful lifestyle change, how to be a vegan in a non-vegan world, and three keys to helping kids transition to a plant-based lifestyle. Our guest today, Elena Wilkins, is a blogger. Her website is vega-licious.com, vegalicious.com, and Elena teaches people how to transition to a plant-based diet to improve health and achieve permanent weight loss. She's here today to share this hour with us, and I'm so excited. So welcome to you, Elena. Well, thank you so much, Marnie. I'm very excited to have been invited to this show, and I cannot wait to share all of the goodness that a plant-based diet can offer to everyone. Well, I'm excited to get going because, like I said, if you could have asked me a few years ago if I would be a vegan ever in my life, I would be just like a no possible way, no way. And I think the transition was pretty tough for me. I um, I never heard of anybody else who had as hard of a time as I did transitioning. I would read and sometimes I would find like it might take you six months but typically, I would find that people could make the transition, their case buds could make the transition within a few weeks or maybe six weeks. And for me, honestly, I'm still transitioning. I, there's still some multiple foods that I still can't really get myself to eat. And so obviously, it's not about my case buds. It's about my brain. But, um, but it has been kind of a long journey. And I wanted to spend this hour today just talking about that with someone who's really um, farther down the path than I am. So that's why you're here so excited to pick your brain and get you to share some of the strategies that can help others who, and I want to encourage listeners, usually really it does honestly take about six weeks for somebody to transition over. Elena, what's your experience? Is that true? Well, you know, I'm like you. If a few years ago, about eight years ago, if you told me I'd be vegan, I'd have to ask you what vegan was. I was completely... right. I I love the fruits and vegetables, but my diet was filled with meats and it had dairy in it. And I grew up, we had cows and we had other animals in our household that we raised and they were friends and there was a time we raised them to kill and that that was how we we grew up and that was a part of my lifestyle. So it was not something I truly anticipated or planned, but when my life kind of asked for it, my health uh, took a uh, turn for the worse, it was something that I researched. I spent a whole year in research. And I came to it and I, I thought that if I had to choose between eating plants for the rest of my life or feeling unwell, I chose to eat plants. And, and certainly eight years later, I have not looked back yet. Hmm. Well, let's start with uh, addressing the question of why. Um, I, You know, it's funny. I was We were sitting with a, a couple who's also vegetarian. They're vegetarian. And uh, we were having this wonderful meal, and I just said, I didn't do it. I didn't go vegan for the animals. And the other lady across the table said to me, I did. And I felt really small at that moment because I thought, well, they really did. <laughs> They're important also. 
<laughs> but that really wasn't my reason. My reason was really for health. And um, and, and that's, that's what I want us to address right now. And, of course, there are many reasons why someone might want to go vegan. But what are some of the health benefits of t- going and maybe for those of you who are listening who don't even know what vegan is, vegan just means no animal products. So uh, vegetarian means no, um, you're mostly just eating plants and, and uh, vegetables, uh, fruits and vegetables, but, but vegan goes further and you don't even have any like dairy products, eggs, or, and even a full, I guess a true vegan wouldn't even wear leather or anything that had to do with animals. Am I, is that explaining it about correctly? Yeah, yeah, it, you're right on track. It's uh, the rules for vegans: if it has a mother, if it moves, or if it breathes, you don't eat it, or you don't eat anything from it. So my my journey, like yours, I didn't start um, on my journey for compassionate reasons, and I didn't even think that way. So I was not raised to think that you know somebody is suffering for me to have food that was bad. It was just a part of who we were, so we never questioned that. But, you know, not to discount it, we don't need to feel small about that because we create a lot of accidental vegans when we do pursue this path for our own health. So humans are there, they're selfish beings, we do a lot of things for our good. But in the process, if somebody benefits uh, from the, from this process and the choices we make, I don't see anything wrong with that. So while I did not start my journey for compassionate reasons, now, eight years later, I'm a very compassionate person, so I would not wear leather and I would not eat animals or anything from animals, and that's the choice I made. But, you know, say somebody who did not make the choice now or still maybe not even for compassionate reasons, they're still saving animals' lives. So, you know, it's a win-win both ways, but there are a lot of benefits that go with that. So for me, when I, I started out on my journey, I was uh, diagnosed with hypothyroidism and a pituitary gland tumor. I told I could not conceive. I was overweight. I was suffering suffering from depression. All of those things that, that the health ailments had to offer, I had a lot of them. So for me, it was for health reasons, and it is for many. And so the science, as I was studying it a few years ago, and I, I've studied ever since then, and there's always new... Uh, research data that shows that a plant-based diet is optimal for human beings because it's very simple to digest. It has all the nutrients, vitamins, and minerals that our bodies need, and so that way we don't have to supplement with anything else, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it is optimal. So the science is behind us. However, modern-day media still presents that, okay, this is great, and if you read any of the latest articles anywhere, everybody's saying a plant-based diet is really, really good for you, but then they follow up with, but it is very hard to follow. So hopefully today we can, can kind of dispel that myth that it is not hard to follow, but the science has agreed that it is optimal for us. Now when it comes to weight loss, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say when it comes to weight loss, I'm a fitness trainer. So I've seen people go on yo-yo diets here a little, there a little, and if you look at the world out there, people really are not made to sustain diets that are very restrictive. And so when people go into counting points, counting calories, and I've seen them all, they have short-term success, but in the long um, run, all of them eventually want something that they used to have, and and it's not sustainable. But when we change to a plant-based lifestyle, and we make sure it's lifestyle, not just a way to diet, to slim down, and it becomes very, very easy to maintain, and here's how weight loss is going to work. Our foods are very rich in fiber, so when we eat them, we get full very fast. That means that we stop eating without having to count calories. And then because they they, uh, are digested very easily, we get hungrier a little faster than the other people do. So after a meal, in about two and a half, three hours, you're hungry again, and nature itself says, okay, you're going to eat again. And so we eat another meal, and the process happens over and over again, so we end up uh, having five to seven, sometimes eight meals a day. But all of that increases our metabolism. So weight loss happens naturally without you ever having to count a calorie, a point, having to weigh yourself. You just eat. Basically, you eat to slim your, your way down. And of course, uh, weight training, uh, cardio, all of that is very important um, as a part of our lifestyle. But diet alone can help us achieve very great uh, long-term results as well. So once we lose weight, if we continue with this lifestyle, if we don't go into the yo-yo phase, you know, I'm going to try this and maybe I'll go back and whatever else, then the weight loss does become permanent. So I was able to shed, um, goodness, I was over 30 pounds overweight. I lost that weight and I haven't had a problem um, going back and forth with it when I was pregnant with my baby. I gained 30 pounds baby weight and uh, within a week I lost 
23 pounds, and within by the end of the month, within two months, I was completely done with my baby weight was gone, and I never had to count the calorie or point. That's awesome. So, what are what are the three keys to preparing your mind for successful transition then? Well, the first, the first and the biggest, and I think you kind of touched on it, and, and I was talking about my journey. You have to figure out why you're doing it. So I, when I teach people that, that you, we transition and how to do it, before we do anything else, I always tell them, write why you want to do this. You have to figure out, so if it's just for dieting, most likely you will not succeed long-term unless something changes in the process. So you have to figure out why you're doing it, if it's for health reasons, if it's to prevent or to reverse your, your health issues, or for it to be an example to your child, to your family member, you know, whatever else, you have to have a solid why. Once you have that down, then the next step is you have to realize that this is not a way to diet, it's a lifestyle change. And when that sinks in, then you mentioned that it's a brain thing. When you realize that it is not dieting anymore and it's a lifestyle change, then you prepare your mind is preparing itself differently. And you're saying, okay, even if it takes me a few months or a few weeks to get through this process, I will get there. So it's not a do or die situation. And lastly, uh, to be successful, you have to get support. So like you said, first when you started, you didn't have much support. You didn't know where to look. It was the same for me. You know, thankfully now the Internet is blowing up with all the health blogs and vegan blogs and whatever you can imagine blogs. You can go there, but I always um, tell people, look for people who have um, a good track record. So it's not diet for them. Um, it's a lifestyle. Those who have done it right, that means they do it for right reasons. So we do it for health reasons and to be compassionate. And also people who don't go into the crazy dieting fads. Um, so you want to be solid. You want it to be simple. You want it to be easy to do. And then finding an accountability partner as a part of this dating support is, is something that I highly encourage. So sometimes when you get a mentor, you look up to them because they've done it. They're successful. But sometimes you need somebody to relate to somebody who will struggle, kind of like you struggle. Sometimes they'll say, okay, you know, I'm some um, bad days, it really doesn't feel so good. I want to quit. And some great days, I'm feeling awesome. And sometimes having that two-way relationship, we have a mentor, and then having uh, somebody doing the, this journey, this path, or walking this path with you can be extremely helpful. Mm. Those are great. And we're going to come right back and talk about how to actually start a plant-based diet in a world of fast-fried foods. We'll be right back. Christian Women's Event. At womensevents.info, you can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian women's events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, click Event Planner Training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg. You're visiting today with Elena Wilkins of vega-licious.com about transitioning to a plant-based diet. And we are talking now about how to actually get started. You know, uh, Elena, that when I started eating um, mostly fruits and vegetables, I remember saying to a vegetarian one time, I said, but what do you eat when you go out? And she tipped her head sideways and she said, salad? And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, that's all you have is a salad. But to me, uh, when I started, I wasn't thinking of salad as food. I was thinking of salad as like something you have before you have your food. <laughs> so, and it's funny now to hear other people tell, say that same thing to me. But there's really a lot of great choices available to us to eat all the time. And so maybe let's talk about... Um, some of the easiest things to do on a plant-based diet? Well, uh, I think that you, you said it, uh, the, the key to what you said, you have to be radiant and you have to explore options. So salad is sometimes not a meal for somebody. And for me, it can be meal, it just depends what's in that salad. But 
thankfully, thankfully, the restaurants are changing, the, the world around us is changing, and media is very helpful, although sometimes it is critical of our lifestyle. But it's helpful because it's raising awareness, and because there are so many sick people now, there are more and w- more ways for people to get accommodations when they go out. So just, you know, quickly, if you're talking about going out to restaurants, it does not have to be salad um, only anymore. It can be pasta. It can be some potatoes. It can be legumes. A lot of places now um, cater to those things. And I always tell people, always talk to the chef, especially if you're going to some specialty restaurant. You can call them ahead of time. Tell them, hey, especially since we're talking, we're, we're doing this for our health. I'm doing this for health reasons. Can you accommodate me? 90% out of 100 will always accommodate you. And you, they might do something simple. It can be something more sophisticated, but at least you will not just sit there and literally just chew on a green leaf. So there are ways to get uh, cheese-free pizza, and it might not be a perfect meal, but it's a good meal still. You know, it might not be whole wheat crust, but it's still, you know, white pizza has not killed anyone. It's usually what goes on that pizza that, that uh, damages people's uh, arteries and bodies overall. But uh, plenty yeah. of diet should not be hard, whether it's in a restaurant or at home. Most meals that I make, and I'm a very busy individual, I'm a fitness trainer, I'm a blogger, I have a three-year-old that I'm chasing around, and I just am near a very large family, so there's always something to do. So my goal is to keep it as simple as possible. Most of my meals take only about 20 30 minutes to make, and then once it's made, I just make a large portion I put leftovers in the fridge, and then they take me about five minutes to reheat and get everything back ready on the table. Now, some of the foods that can be very simple to make, we can start with smoothies. Everybody loves smoothies, so we can make a fruit smoothie. I usually try not to do that as much because we love greens, and so sometimes instead of chewing on a salad, especially if salad is not your favorite way to consume greens, we blend greens with the fruit smoothie, and then we have a green smoothie. We add some either flaxseed or chia seed to it for omegas in the morning. And it's almost a full meal, and you know, within an hour to two hours, we're hungry. We're going to have something else. But um, simple things to make pasta dishes are very simple. So we are carb-eating uh, beings. Oh, the entire humanity is. Carbs are not bad, and you know, there, there's carbs get really, really bad rap out there. But usually, when people refer to carbs. They're really talking about the company that carbs keep, so sugars and oils. But carbs by themselves, even if it's white flour, it's not going to damage your health. I know sometimes it's a surprise and a relief to some, uh, for some people to hear that, but nobody died because they ate white bread. People usually die because they eat fatty foods, they eat fast foods, you know, all, all those kind of junk foods out there. But uh, keeping it simple is, is key. So root vegetables such as potatoes, those are easy to make. They can be boiled, they can be roasted, they can be toasted and mashed. Um, a lot of recipes are, are available out there, and they're very, very simple. And um, sometimes baking bread at home, I have a lot of recipes that usually take about 10 minutes to prepare, and then I have a great loaf of bread overnight. And you can make a whole wheat sandwich. And uh, for some people, there's 1% of the population is gluten intolerant. They might have celiac disease. They might have to make different accommodations. But if you don't want bread, you can take a nice uh, leaf of chard and pile a lot of vegetables on it and, and include some legumes, um, wrap it up and have a nice veggie wrapped that way too. So the options are absolutely, absolutely limitless. It can be very easy. So, you know, talking about that if we live in a world of fast fried food, what can be faster than picking up a banana or an apple? You know, for somebody who, like you started with your journey and not liking a lot of plant foods, it can be something as simple as making a nutrition bar, keeping it in your purse, uh, having it on the, on the go in your car, those kind of things. That can be very easy uh, to do. Cooking ahead of time can be uh, something that people can do. I always tell people, pick one or two days a week that you lock yourself in the kitchen. It's been about three hours, you know, and by locking yourself in the kitchen, I don't mean that you spend the whole day there. Um, although in the beginning, it seems like that's what you do, you cook and cook and cook. But like you said earlier, within about four to six weeks, your lifestyle habits adjust, your taste buds adjust, and it seems easier after that. But prepare enough meals for the whole week, pop them in the fridge in, in containers, and then all you have to do is pull them out, reheat them, or have them on the go. So it can be very, very, very simple and easy. I think what is the most surprising thing is how hard we make it. Uh, we, I think that our traditional way of cooking is very complex compared to plant-based cooking. So, for example, for me, I think that eating a banana or eating a handful of grapes or eating an apple is really simple. <laughs> it's very uh-huh. easy. It's just portable. It's, you can have one anywhere. Um, 
it's it's so so simple compared to having let's say um, a, a a salad that has a bunch of different stuff, including Cool Whip or whatever in it, which is how I always used to have the fruit. You know, I had I would never just have the fruit. I would always have the fruit mixed in with other ingredients. You know, and so. It's actually so much easier when you get into it, but the mental shift was very difficult for me. And I too, I, I eat, a, I drink a lot of smoothies, love smoothies, and um, am always so surprised that people can't imagine having smoothies like without dairy, without milk in it or yogurt, but they're they're delicious um, without that. And then also, one of my very favorite things to eat now is root vegetables. And once again, when I first was going. Um, plant-based, I couldn't really handle them. I would taste them and I'd be like, ick, how could anybody like this? But now they are, in fact, I just had some for lunch today too. I just uh, slice them thin and I put them, I just put a little bit of oil in the bottom of the pan and I cook them until they're not crispy but very well cooked and then I just uh, transfer them into um, containers and I just have a container for lunch. And I can have it cold or hot either way. But when I was eating it today, I was like, this is just so delicious. It's now one of my very favorite foods. It's amazing how the taste buds change. And one of the things I wanted to address here was I, I'm still not a big bean eater. I, I don't, I've always had a problem with the texture of beans. And I used to have a lot of problem with the texture of mushrooms. Now I can eat mushrooms just great. In fact, I can eat like a, a whole mushroom burger, like just a portobello on a bun, uh, and like that. So that's amazing that my taste buds could change that much. But I still do struggle a little bit with beans. And I wanted to talk to um, the people who are worried about the nutrition because a lot of people talk about this, that they're concerned they can't get enough protein, they can't get enough of this or that on a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet. And what I've done for myself since I don't eat beans is I do have a protein um, powder that's a um, vegetable-based protein powder that I have every day. And that has really helped um, me. But for a person who's eating legumes and is eating a vegetarian diet, why don't you talk to them about why they can relax and know that they're going to be okay with this? Oh, thank, thank you. This is one of my biggest uh, soapboxes to step on. Big, big because especially being that I'm in fitness circles, you always have people who work out. They'll say, okay, you have to pump protein. This is how you gain muscle. And so there, there's a lot of misinformation and misassociation what happens. So when um, I was doing my research and, uh, and considering this lifestyle change, my husband and I were young. We're uh, going working out, and that was one of his things, you know, how am I going to grow up my muscle? So I started looking at some data, and um, I found that World Health Organization just a few years ago suggested that we need only about 2.5% of our dietary source, uh, of our diet to come from protein sources. And when you look at that, it's a very, very small number. So only 2.5% of your diet should come from that. And that they suggested that it should not be any more than about 10%. And they said that women's um, need is only up to 7% or less. If we look at our modern-day society, about 25 or more percent of people's diet now comes from protein. So protein deficiency is not a modern-day problem. We should never, ever be concerned with that. We can actually be concerned with protein overconsumption, and that's what causes a lot of problems, cancers, and other issues with kidneys, is having too much protein. So too much protein is not actually a good thing because our bodies were created to, to uh, survive on carbs, and if we don't get enough carbs but uh, get too much protein, then the body has to figure out what to do with it. So in the process, we, we're creating toxic body uh, within, even if it's plant-based protein, if it's too much coming from um, isolated sources. So not, I'm not talking about legumes because that, that's uh, whole foods. You cannot really overeat on it. But you can overburden your body. It's not something that you want to do. So I always tell people, take a deep breath, relax. You still can have huge <laughs> muscles because we have this misassociation and, and we don't really understand how muscles grow. So when we work out, our caloric needs uh, increase. We just need more calories. As we eat more calories, because when we, uh, we do and we eat whole foods, with that comes carbs and fats and protein, and so by default, our body just compensates for whatever it needs, without what it needs, and grows itself. So we never actually have to sit down and figure out, okay, how many grams of what have I eaten today? We have to look at the whole picture. So at the end of the day, if you had a, a different variety of plants, you are doing well. Uh, the goal is usually, and that's something the uh, 
CCRM, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, they have created a plate that is a beautiful presentation of what we should eat like, is by the end of the day, if you eat some grains, some legumes, some fruits, and some vegetables, you've done well. And, and that's the simplicity of it. Now, when it comes yeah. to... Uh, nutrients and vitamins and supplements, people sometimes get a little freaked out and they say, oh, but when I get this, and then, then somebody will let them to believe that you have to eat an animal for that. But, you know, let's be honest, the cow, the chicken, whatever else, what, what other creature might uh, be eating, they have to get their nutrition from somewhere. And if you look at humans, we usually don't eat uh, carnivores. We don't eat the carnivorous uh, animals. We only eat herbivores. So cows and horses and whatever else you might be eating out there, they get their nutrition from plant foods because they graze on grass most of the time. In the winter, they get hay and other things. You know, that is, of course, if they're wildly raised, if they're in a factory somewhere, then they're deficient as anybody else in war, so you cannot really count them, get your nutrients from them. So what we are doing um, by going on a whole foods plant-based diet or almost a plant-based diet for some people, is we're skipping the middleman, so we're going straight to the source and that we, we get better quality vitamins and nutrients and minerals. They're more digestible. They're easier to absorb. So we end up uh, eating less than what you will find in a bottle somewhere um, of a supplement, but we are keeping a lot more because all of those wonderful, nutritious uh, foods, they, they work as a symphony in harmony, one nutrient with another. So they're not isolated. They don't go through another source like an animal, but they end up straight in our stomach, and our stomach is made to digest plants and um, doing so very easily, very efficiently. So there's really no reason for us to be afraid of deficiencies. The only thing I always tell people is, uh, and because sometimes the science is not clear on it, but to be on the safe side, we need to take our vitamin B12, and that's um, we need very little, under 3 micrograms a day. Um, there are some supplements out there that you can buy 250 micrograms up to 5,000. But the good news with B12 is that you cannot overdose on it. It's water-soluble. So if you took 5,000 or 500, whatever your body does not need, at the end of the day, your body excretes that with urine, and it's happy and you're done. And, and um, really, that, that's all you need for a happy life. It's very simple. And that's the beauty of a plant-based uh, lifestyle, that we don't have to follow formulas. We eat until we're satiated. We stop when we're full, and then when we get hungry again, we go back to the plate. Love that. And, and the other things that uh, you mentioned, uh, adding some flax or chia tea or smoothie for omega-3, that is one thing that's a little tough to get with the vegetables. Um, but by just adding a tablespoon of flax seed, mm-hmm. uh, is that kind of what you go with about a tablespoon, or how much do you add? Yeah, we go two tablespoons per person per day, and that's very easy. So flaxseed can be, if you don't want it in your smoothie, you know, fine, grind it up, put it on your salad. One of my favorite ways to add it now is when I make crepes for my little enchiladas and more pancakes. You add it, it also acts as a, an egg replacer because it thickens the substance, or you can add it to veggie burgers or breads or basically anything else. So it's very hard not to get enough if you think about only two tablespoons a day per adult person. So children, yeah. you don't about half of that. And, and if you think of it like just a small sunflower seed, I mean, it, it kind of adds a little crunch to the salad if you want to put it in that way. And then if you're living up north in uh, the northern hemisphere, like I knew, uh, most of the people up where I live are D deficient, vitamin D deficient because of sunlight um, deficiency up here. And so we also added D to ours, but that's about it. And honestly, if you can get these, in, if you can get the vitamins in the whole package instead of separating them out, that's always the best way to go. You want to eat something that has this in it naturally instead of taking pills as much as possible. That's why the flaxseed is so beautiful because that's just that's just how it comes. <laughs> so nature delivers it with the omega threes like that. So cool. Well, um, let's talk about shopping because I. I honestly spent a lot of unnecessary money going vegan. <laughs> and now I look back and I think, wow, I did not have to spend that much money. Um, but what are some of your tips and strategies for people? Absolutely. I, I think that is a whole big misconception. And I think because it's also uh, perpetuated by the media how we approach it, that it is expensive because when we think vegan, we think about all the specialty foods, some kind of powders, mixes, and whatever else. And if you go that route, it can be extremely expensive. So people start doing a lot of protein shakes or whatever else. Yeah, some, some of them that are good quality can be $60 per gallon that they're buying or less. 
But, you know, if we're concentrating on the basic foods, the whole foods and processed foods, it's actually very cheap and doesn't have to be expensive. I recently was talking about people that it doesn't even have to be organic for you to get all of the benefits, although, you know, organic is great for us. It is more nutritious. It, it does taste better. It's better for the planet. But for people who are on a tight budget, that's not even something they really have to be concerned with. So for me, it's knowing where to shop first and foremost. So if you live somewhere where you have a little piece of land, starting very simple. Can you plant something yourself? You know, gardening does not really take that much time. And if you don't have that place and uh, if you cannot do it yourself, do you have any friends or family who are gardening for fun? So I just moved from Ohio to Washington State. And literally in the last three weeks, I think I might have spent on about $70 in groceries, and that was it. The rest, believe it or not, my family and friends, they come over almost daily. They bring me uh, tomatoes, cucumbers, uh, zucchini, basically you name it. We have it either in the backyard in my mother's garden now where I'm visiting or somebody else is bringing it. So then you end up having to only buy uh, the legumes and the grains and if you want to, pastas and whatever else. Um, Another way to go is find a local CSA, and CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. So if you just Google that, you'll find a website dedicated to that. You can find a local farm that takes shares, so you can buy a share, and for a whole season, they will give you fresh produce. And it's fantastic. Not only are you supporting a local economy, but you are getting up the best that the nature has to offer because locally grown produce gets to be more ripe, which means it is more nutritious too. And if there's not a local CSA, then you can also look up even online or in your community. If there's a co-op, they're usually uh, a lot cheaper than whole, uh, stores like Whole Foods or something else. Um, and again, you, you're getting to support people who are doing it for the right reasons too. Not, not that grocery stores are not doing it for the right reasons, but they're not as big. Make friends with your local farmers. Uh, farmer markets, great place to go. And if you uh, think at this time of the year they're, they're going to start, start dying off, closing up. So get as much as you can. One of the best ways uh, to save for the winter is right now, get as much as you can because a lot of produce that you can buy, you can process. So clean it, dry it, chop it up into pieces, and freeze it, put it into your freezer. So when you, um, in the winter months, all you have to do is go to your freezer, pull out a bag of berries or, or apples, whatever, put in your smoothie, have it that way. Or greens, when we do green smoothies, we freeze extra greens for the winter. We, we uh, save a lot of And lastly, when um, every other option is exhausted, go to local stores and, and see when they have sales on certain things. If they have a section, when um, they put something in special deals uh, sometimes of the week. And always, always see if you can buy in bulk. So if you go get some canned beans, for example, um, not only will they have some chemicals in them, you're going to pay three times as much. Or if you go to a, a dry food bulk section, you can buy as many beans as you want for that dollar, and then all you have to do is soak them overnight. It takes about 40 minutes to cook them, and you have, will have three times or more as uh, many beans as you would buy in them in cans. So there are many ways to save. It can be very simple. Again, we don't have to... Um, overshoot with this. Organic is great. I do organic because I can afford it, but some people who start on a budget, just make sure to wash out your produce, um, soak it in water and vinegar that will get some things off of it, wash it, cook it, and steam it, you know, whatever way you like to do it. It doesn't have to be that expensive. Yeah. One of the things I like to do is make sure to buy the organic root vegetables, the vegetables that grow down into the ground, like a potato, a sweet potato, carrots like that. Um, I've just heard from farmers even directly that a lot of times those those plants or those crops are what they use to clean up a field. If they have a field that, that's kind of got some um, nasty stuff in it, a lot of times they'll plant it with potatoes because the potatoes just absorb so much of that, but then you're eating it. And so the organic, the organic root vegetables is maybe if you want to make something a priority as far as organic, that's what I'd encourage you to do. And then obviously just, um, you know, you can buy plants and, or fruits and vegetables almost anywhere. So you're just looking for um, good prices and, and uh, good, good quality stuff. I love, love the examples that you've given. What are some other basic staple foods that you should have in your pantry when you're going vegan? Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, so uh, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, they have this little model which I love to give to people. It's a plate divided into four sections. So you have grains, legumes, fruits, and vegetables, and, of course, not to forget our B12. Um, but those are the main food, food uh, group, uh, 
what groups we're looking for. So when it comes to grains, you know, um, if you're not gluten intolerant, then the world of your uh, your playground, you can get anything from actual wheat dairy that you can boil and eat to brown rice, quinoa, emerald, all of the other grains. And um, the good thing about whole foods plant-based diet, you actually get to discover those grains because until I became vegan, half of the grains I just was naming, they were not familiar to me. You know, there's buckwheat and um, wild rice, all those kind of things. If you have at least two or three of those in your pantry at all times and you never run out, that would be good. Then legumes. You mentioned that you don't like beans, and, you know, it's fine in the beginning. And, and like you said, days buds will change over a period of time. But perhaps looking for different ways um, to enjoy beans. So you might not enjoy, bean, uh, enjoy beans when they're on your salad or your soup, but maybe making hummus out of them or some kind of spread will make it more uh, more enjoyable for you or putting in some kind of sauce that you don't even know that it's there. That can be a way to go, and you still get those nutrients. And then when it comes to fruit, I suggest and, and vegetables. Go seasonal as much as possible, and that way you get um, to have a variety on your table and in your refrigerator, and you also get different nutrients and mineral, minerals rotated in your diet, and that way you don't become deficient in any one thing. So um, in my freezer, you'll always find some kind of frozen berries. Uh, sometimes bananas, when they get you ripe, I put them there. Uh, in my pantry, you, I'll have at least two or three different kind of beans, uh, two or three kind of grains, and then I have some whole wheat pasta. Um, I have rice pasta. Uh, for people who are gluten intolerant, they can get gluten-free pastas there too. And vegetables. Uh, my basics in my uh, refrigerator are usually onions, potatoes, uh, bell peppers, carrots. We love cauliflower when it's uh, baked. And uh, broccoli and broccoli can be frozen or fresh. So those are just basics. So again, don't overthink it. It doesn't have to be the $20 a pound goji beers or anything like that. Um, there's no magic pills, no magic food. We look at uh, diet as a total success and so not just one ingredient that is going to cure us from all diseases but everything. So keep it as basic as you can. And I have a person right now working with She's kind of like you, Marnie. She says, she says well, I don't like a lot of uh, fruits or vegetables, so we made it an agreement. Every week she's going to add only about two to three new fruits or vegetables into her diet, try them, and the week after try something else. And that can be a good way for people to introduce that into their diet as well. Absolutely, and I know at the end of the program we were going to talk about um, helping kids to transition. And one of the things that I've heard is that a child will typically learn to like a food after 15 non-judgmental tries. So that's like the average number. So if you uh, put a food in front of a child and they spit it out or really dislike it strongly, but then you keep reintroducing the food without judgment, without anger, without, you know, any big hoopla. You just say you just have to try one bite. You just have to try one bite. And you do that for 15 times. That's the average number of times it takes a child to incorporate a new uh, food into their, you know, list of foods that they like. And so for adults, I think, you know, some foods are going to take quite a few more times than that. It might take 50 if you have a lot of bad memories with that food. Um, but after a period of time, the mind really will allow you to enjoy it. And, and I just, I've seen that true for me. I can't even believe now that I can eat tomatoes or, and I still can't eat like a, you know, just plain tomato, uh, but I can have it in stuff and I don't gag and I, I actually enjoy the taste. So it, it comes around. You just have to be a little patient. We're going to take a break and come right back and talk about the kitchen gadgets you want to invest in and where to find the support you need. We'll be right back. What's your next step? Are you tired of scouring the Internet to find the training you need to take you from where you are today to where you want to be? Stop searching and start moving towards your goals with over 150 targeted training modules available to you at Marnie.com. You can learn how to speak, how to write, how to get published, how to get media coverage, and so much more, all available at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com. Womenspeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit Womenspeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. 
womenspeakers.com, and that's where you want to go if you're looking for a speaker for your fall or 2015 events. And excited to uh, share all those speakers with you. I think there's over 1,700 of us over there right now, so very fun. Okay, we're here today with our guest, Elena Wilkins of vega-licious.com, vega-licious.com, talking about transitioning into a plant-based diet. And the next thing we wanted to talk about, Elena, is um, the five kitchen gadgets that you'll want to invest in early on. I hope one of them is a food processor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, this is one of the things when people think, oh, being healthy is too expensive, but let's start with the basics. There's nothing that will beat a sharp knife, a veggie peeler, and a cutting board. Those are like absolutely must in your, any kitchen because if you can do that, then you can do almost anything. So those those are my two basics. So the, you know, veggie peeler is a part of the knife family, but cutting board and sharp knives that will be something you absolutely have to have. Um, food processor is something I use at least once daily. So yes, it, and you don't have to get fancy. So I have a fancier one because I have been doing this for a while, and you know, this is my lifestyle. And that's what I do. I teach people, so I use the best of gadgets. But in the beginning, when I started my transition to a plant-based diet. I had a very simple one, believe it or not, from Walmart. I just was done uh, getting done with college, so I didn't have much money to spend. So I went to Walmart, got a $30 food processor, and it lasted me three years before it broke down. So it doesn't have to be too fancy to get something that is the right size for your family, though, because some of them have very small containers, and if you're planning on growing your family, you have to have something larger. So food processor is a must. Um, blender, a good blender. Again, it doesn't have to be too expensive. I used to have a $50 KitchenAid that I bought on sale when I, when I was changing my diet, and um, it was life-saving for me. We made green smoothies, and of course, it was not the same quality as you would get out of Vitamix or Blantec, but it doesn't have to be fancy. I even had people who would do my program. Sometimes they would use food processors to uh, blend their smoothies, and you know that will, talk, that, that will speak to the quality and the commitment of that person, but a good blender, um, some people use very simple ones like Ninja or KitchenAid or something like that, and that will last you a while. So as you have money or you have a Christmas bonus or something, a present coming up, ask people for either cash donations or, or buy you a good blender such as Vitamix or Blendtec. They're usually top of the line and people love to get spoiled that way. Um, Craigslist. Sometimes a great way to get a good deal on one of these gadgets. And for me, the last one that I find is very important for anybody who is going to spend time in the kitchen is a mandolin slicer. So it's a little gadget that has different kind of knives and settings thrown in it, but it gives you different cuts and, and, and thicknesses of slices. So I shred my cabbage on it very quickly, especially if I don't want to get my food processor dirty because there's just a little bit more to wash. Um, you can cut... Uh, potatoes into fries and just bake them in the oven that way, carrots, anything. So whenever I teach a class or if I go to somebody's house to prepare meals for them, I bring those basics with me. So I always grab my knife, my cutting board, my blender, my mandolin slicer, and food processor. And I can whip up um, a five-course meal in less than two hours, no problem with that help. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. When you're shopping for a food processor and a blender, um, the Ninja, the Ninja line does offer a lot of different varieties of speeds, and I encourage you if you're going to be doing a lot of, like if you're going to make your own peanut butter from almonds or um, something like that, you want to have one that's a pretty sturdy unit. And starting at like $150, you can get the blender and the food processor from Ninja. That's a high enough speed that it's not going to burn out. So it kind of depends on what you're going to use it for. But what I did kind of, I had kind of a different experience later than you. I burned through several um, uh, food processors when I was going with the cheap version, and apparently I was just working them too hard. But I, I really love having a food processor. It just makes everything like the one I have now, the Ninja, and I think I have a 1200, but um, I just put the ingredients in and really press it down, and like 30 seconds later, it's ready to take out. And I know it's just so, so fast, and it makes it makes processing the, um, you know, the dressings or whatever, um, hummus or whatever dips you have so, so easy. So that's just excellent. And how about um, finding support? So let's say that somebody has been listening to us. They've been thinking about this for a while. They've been listening to us, and they're like, "Yeah, I want to make a, I want to make a change." And I just don't know anybody that eats like this, or I don't know where to find people. Where would you suggest that they could find some support? 
Well, you know, let's start with this. They already heard that you've been doing it, so maybe you've written something on it. There are great books out there, but start with people whom you can trust. So don't get um, into sensationalism. So you hear a lot of uh, about different kind of diets like raw food, that, which can be great, but it's harder to maintain. Or, you know, 21 day this, 21 day that. Look for something that is sustainable first and foremost. And when you decide that you want to make this into a lifestyle, not a diet, then look for people who teach this. So um, look in your community. Very rarely I know that now that people use Yellow Pages, but Google something in your community. There are a lot of vegan and vegetarian meetups on the meetup.com. I have no affiliation with them, but that's where I find local vegan groups. You can go there. Just Google something in your community. See if there is a chef that is offering cooking classes. I personally, when I started this lifestyle, because I didn't have somebody like me, I would look for somebody who would mentor. So whether they have an in-person class or online class or um, coaching that they offer, whether it's over Skype or in person or whatever else, it's um, a little bit of money up front, but it can save you years of making mistakes. So yeah. if you cannot find Uh oh, did we lose you? Oh no no Elena, no, no. I, can't... I, I thought Oh you're okay. I thought you were saying something, I apologize. But if you cannot oh, find okay. somebody locally, jump online and what you want to look for is what we're talking about, people who do it for health. There are a lot of wonderful vegans and vegetarians out there who do it for compassionate reasons, but a lot of times they miss the mark with their own health choices. So you can be vegan and you can eat a lot of junk foods. I highly recommend not to do it. So look for somebody who is promoting a whole foods, plant-based diet for health reasons and with compassion, of course. Um, when um, you Google, the, there are thousands of us online who offer those kind of options. And then look for local support groups. So um, meetup.com is one of them. Sometimes Facebook has options where you can search people and look for people who meet locally. And I always tell people, if you cannot find somebody locally, go online. You can always get an online accountability partner in a group or an uh, online mentor that way. You, in this day and age, we absolutely have no excuse not to find some support. But always make sure not to look for sensationalism. Look for people who do it right and have long-term results, not just something within three days, you know, six months, and after that you don't know how people do it. But look for somebody who's done it for a while. That's awesome. And um, we're going to talk a couple of minutes here now about how to be a vegan in a non-vegan world. Uh, we, we were just sitting in a group. Um, of probably about 250 people maybe about a month ago. It was very recently. And um, the person who was speaking was making joke after joke about, about vegetarians and vegans. And everybody, you know, um, most of the people that were there, of course, were carnivores. And it was, it was very obvious that, you know, still being a vegan is very much of a non-mainstream eating choice. And you feel that. You feel that at parties. You feel it at holidays. You feel it at, um, uh, you feel it often because everybody brings food or serves food that is very traditional, the SAD, the, um, you know, standard American diet. And, and as a vegan or vegetarian, you really notice that you're eating quite differently than most people. So how do you... Uh, build bridges then with the people that you love, with your friends, your family, uh, maintaining that this is how you want to eat, but yet at the same time, you know, not making them feel guilty and also not um, eating what they're serving. Yeah, um, it's a great and valid question because I come from a huge family, and when I first became vegan, I was like, okay, people didn't even know what that meant, and then I didn't want people to feel uh, judged or intimidated because by default you don't have to speak and sometimes people feel that way. So don't be judgmental is first and, and foremost. So don't go to a party and start preaching your vegan lifestyle. It will turn people away. Show people by example what that lifestyle is doing for you. So if you're doing it for health reasons, they should see a change in you physically so they will say, hey, if something changed about you, what are you doing? That opens the floor for a conversation. And that way, when you do it non-judgmentally and you're presenting it, okay, I'm doing this for me, for my health. I'm not asking the world to change. The world actually tends to listen to us better that way as opposed to somebody getting up in the podium and saying, you are all horrible, you're going to hell for eating animals. You know, it's not winning friends <laughs> for sure that way. But don't defend yourself. Like you said, there was a person making jokes. You know, sometimes if somebody really gets on your nerves long term, you can just tell them, hey, you know, let's look in the mirror. I'm eating plants, I'm looking great, and maybe you're not looking so great. But 
let, let's hope it never gets that way. It just we avoid confrontation because it's not necessary. Usually when people approach me and they want confrontation to prove me wrong, I always tell them respectfully, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to discuss them, but we have to agree to disagree. And unless you're ready for it, I'm sorry, we'll not be having this conversation. So you can be both very respectful and then you can uh, not not sever that relationship so you have an open opportunity in the future to, to um, hopefully have the conversation. So be kind to people, be an advocate for yourself, uh, be advocate for others, of course, but always, always remember not to bully anyone into this lifestyle. And when you have a chance, invite people over to your house, and nothing speaks for itself better than hospitality and a good dessert. You can make a lot of great healthy desserts. When people come over to your house, don't even tell them that it's vegan. Surprise them, um, spoil them with the goodness of, of, of the plant-based diet that we can offer. And when they ask for a recipe, they're going to see it's all plant-based and they'll come again. And I start a lot of conversations with just great foods. You feed people and they'll say, hey, that tastes really good. And I feel very light afterward. What was that? And I'll tell them. So don't judge. Don't push it on anyone, even your spouse. Always, always allow people for an opportunity to ask a question because when they do, they feel like they learned something on their own and you did not push it on them, and then they're much more kinder to us and they're more likely to hear us as opposed to judge us. Yeah, and I think another another tip that I learned kind of the hard way is to not say the word vegetarian or vegan. Just say mm-hmm. just say, say that I mostly eat plants. You know, I just multi-plant based and I I don't even worry about you know making a a, you know strong line in the sand you know I never eat any animal things I just am more casual about my communication with people that I'm mostly plant-based and that tends to reduce some of their I think that because they felt judged or because they maybe um, subconsciously realize that they're having too much um, protein, too much animal-based foods in their diet, but they don't know what to do about it, or they they really don't want to stop eating that way. Uh, there's maybe some guilt or, you know, something, some submerged feelings there that come up and then they're t- addressed at you, which you didn't do anything to earn or deserve that. But at the same time, if you just uh, do it a little more sensitively, it seems like it, it doesn't become the big judgmental um, conversation that it can become. And I, I was talking to a friend who we had, that's kind of just what you were saying, we had been to visit them and they were noticing that we were eating differently and looking differently and um, they got involved with eating less less animals themselves and um, she said she just couldn't believe the strong responses people had to that. And she said, why would people care what I eat? But the reality is is that we're in a culture that's very food-oriented, and so people kind of do have an opinion about what you eat and whether you're eating the food they're serving or what they're eating. And so I think that that does help. Um, maybe any more tips on that one? Yeah, I um, I, I think that people do feel uh, sometimes uncomfortable because we are in a, in a, well, humans, we love to eat, and there's nothing wrong with that. So if we give them good food to eat and, and um Look for opportunities sometimes, I think. People struggle with a lot of health issues. They don't tell others about it. But if you notice something, you know, don't necessarily preach at them, say, but hey, you know, I've tried this. This really helped me. You want to try this? And a lot of times because we are self-centered beings as humans, people will be open to try something new when they're not feeling well. And our goal is, of course, to prevent all those diseases from happening. But if you end up in a point when somebody's not feeling well, say, hey, can I cook a few meals for you maybe for a week and maybe you're going to feel different. And that way, people are very open to listening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's spend the last few minutes here talking about the keys to helping kids transition to a plant-based lifestyle. Because if you have children who are used to having McDonald's and a lot of different, um, you know, uh, definitely full of dairy and uh, meats, it is a it's a pretty big change. Um, it is, and I'm happy you brought this up because now that I have a two-year-old, I really know what kids can go through, even healthy kids from day to day. Like you said, sometimes you have to offer your child something 15 or 30 times for her to say, huh, now I really like it, you know. Um, so start with very simple things. So we always start as uh, approachable um, as possible, and it depends on your child's age, but generally, if you invite your kids to cook with you, it's 
the best way to spend time with them, first of all, and then another way for them to really understand how much work can go into food preparation so they don't think that mommy can get in the kitchen and whip out five-course meal and it's a cafeteria, everybody will have a different thing. But when they cook with you, they will really understand the, the part of the labor that goes into it, but they will also become very, uh, they'll take pride in what they're making and when mm-hmm. a child makes something, I cannot assure you because I've tried this so many times with my nephews and nieces, they're going to walk around the house making sure everybody is going to taste what they made because they are very <laughs> yep. proud of doing something. I had a niece, my, one of my sisters-in-law said, oh, she will never eat anything healthy. It was a few years ago, and so I'm in the kitchen. I said, well, Sophie, can, do you want to come over and help me make hummus? She came, she pushed buttons, and, and buttons are very interesting to all kids and and. Uh, um, food processors, blenders, you name it. And we were done, and she ate a whole bowl of hummus without anything. Then she walked around the house offering it to everybody else. And the parents could not believe it, but it was that simple. I didn't have to do anything. I just made cooking fun for her. And um, she was proud of her creation. And, and right now my child is two years old, but I already pull up a chair or we have a special tower. She pushes buns for me or if I hold her, and she will taste something with her finger and say, Mommy, this is yummy. You want to taste it? So that's Step number one, always start very much with fun and fun foods and desserts, especially if your kids are a little older. Then another thing that you can do, and especially as your kids get older, is talk to them. Our children are much, much wiser and smarter than we think. However, <laughs> they have an advantage to adult, adults because they don't have years of building bad habits and completely ruining their taste buds, so they adjust quicker, they're easier. They will understand this easier, especially if you approach them, okay, let's talk a little bit about animals and what this means to the animal world if we eat them. Kids are very compassionate. So talk to them on their level. So make something appropriate for a two-year-old and something for a 15-year-old. It's it's different levels of communication. So for teenagers, you can, again, show them books and videos and talk about health benefits. I have um, guys who want to work out and have big muscles, so I told them about the recovery rate for people who eat a whole food uh, plant-based diet is much quicker because your muscles um, get a lot of alkaline foods when it comes in the body. It's very healing, so your your body restores much quicker, so your muscle will build quicker that way, and it can work out longer, and you can uh, recover faster. So look at the benefits that the teenager might be looking for. Uh, for example, somebody who has really bad skin has acne, and if it's some boy, hey, he probably wants to look good for girls in, in his high school. So tell them, if you eat this way, your acne is going to go away, which is absolutely true. happens all the time with my clients. And then when they see the benefits, they far outweigh whatever they eat. But with older kids, um, or if you have a combination of little kids and older kids, at the end of the day, you're a parent. You can set rules in the house, say, okay, this is what we eat here. So if you want to eat something different than that outside the family, you're more than welcome to outside the home, um, especially mm-hmm. if you're raising younger kids who will model after them. And it's a conversation that that, that has to happen um, ongoingly with your spouse and with your kids. And at the end of the day, especially if your children are not earning any income yet, so, you know, I've covered all the good stuff. Now I'm going to get to the parenting level. At the end of the day, we're parents. We have money in our wallets, not our kids. We know what is best for our child's health. So we end up making... Uh, making the decisions and being the, the primary decision makers because we know that we want to uh, make sure they don't get sick or they end up with cancer or heart attack or stroke, some kind of, you know, things like that down down the line. So while we're educating them, at the end of the day, what we can do is remove all the bad foods from the house. You can do it in steps. You can do it overnight. It's totally up to you. And at the end of the day, you're the parent. You still make those decisions. So if your mm-hmm. child were standing outside in the street and you saw a car coming, you jump in front of the child, uh, car, you'll blot your child, even if you fall over and get scratches, you save your child's life. Well, if you're looking at this nutritionally, in the future, if the child is not eating right and if, uh, if she's eating uh, fast foods and junk foods, there's a big truck coming her way, and it's called cancers and heart attacks and strokes. So we're going to do whatever it takes to save our little children from that, even if it's going to be a little bumpy, there might be a few scratches, you know, it kind of... We'll figure it out, but uh, long-term, we're looking to save our children. That's so awesome. Lena, this hour is flown by. You guys want to check her out at vegalicious.com. It's V-E-G-A-Licious, L-I-C-I-O-U-S.com. Elena, thanks so much for being here. 
Well, it was so much fun, Marnie, that the hour has flown by, and I probably could talk for another five hours. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you guys have a great rest of the day. We'll see you next time. And uh, be sure to check out some great plant-based foods. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.